Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we are beginning a series of sermons that will follow one of our three forms of unity, the Heidelberg Catechism. Maybe young people, children, you hear that, maybe even older ones, and you ask, why? Why are we using a 459-year-old document to guide our preaching and teaching in the 21st century? Isn't it kind of outdated? And, and what's more, isn't it going outside of the Bible? Well, those are fair questions. I'm going to give a short answer to those questions now. But I hope as we go through the series, you will see these answers demonstrated as we go. So first, it's not outdated. Yes, there are parts, some parts of the Catechism that deal with issues, like you can think of the Roman Catholic Mass, that maybe aren't so much an issue, not as big of an issue for most of us today. But the purpose of the Catechism was not and is not primarily to deal with that issue or any other particular issue. The purpose of the Catechism is to lay down a solid foundation that will help us work through any issue, whether that's the Roman Catholic Mass or whether that's transgender ideology. And that makes the Catechism extremely relevant, also for all of us, children, young people, and older ones today. But what is that foundation that the Catechism seeks to lay down? Well, Frederick III, Prince Frederick III, the German prince who arranged for this catechism to be, to be written, he, he wrote a, a, preface, a preface to the catechism. And in, in that preface, he tells us what that foundation is. He says it's this, the devout knowledge and fear of the Almighty and His holy word of salvation. So that's the foundation, the devout knowledge and fear of the Almighty and His holy word of salvation. That's the foundation that the Catechism lays down for us. And it does that not by going outside the Bible, but it does it by summarizing the Bible, by bringing the main teachings and doctrines of the Bible together to give us the big picture. It's the big picture of the Bible in a way that speaks to, to, to your whole person, to your head, to your heart, and to your hands. So it's relevant, and it's biblical. It's Bible-based. Hopefully, you begin to see that, whether the, for the first time or again, as we begin today with Lord's Day 1, a Lord's Day that is all about comfort. Now, all of us like comfort. All of us look for comfort, because we all face problems in life. Some of you are students. Imagine being a student and and wanting to do really well on a test, studying so hard for it. But after doing it, you, you, you get it back, and instead of the A that you were hoping for, you get a C- minus or, or even a D. You can imagine how, how disappointed you would feel, wouldn't you? You might even feel that, that uncomfortable feeling in your stomach, just that knot that's there that's just so discouraged. Well, what do you do in, in a case like that? You look for comfort. Something, something to help you, something good to help you through the day. Something good to, to help you to, to, to pick back up and to keep going. Something good that will either lessen the pain or, or give you the strength to bear it. 
We look for comfort all the time because we live, you see, in a world where nothing and no one is perfect. In fact, more than that, we live in a very scary world, we have to say, a world that's full of pain and suffering and evil. We live with the world of evil even within our own hearts. And it's into this reality that we live in that the catechism from the very start speaks with such power and hope of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. So with God's help, our theme this afternoon will be the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. We will look at this comfort from our catechism in the light also of various scriptures, including also the scripture we read about the woman with the flow of blood, and especially Jesus' words to her in Luke 8, verse 48, when he said to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Or you could translate, take heart. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. So the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. Three thoughts. First, this comfort, the comfort of belonging to him is the only comfort. Second, it is a matchless comfort. And third, it is a comfort experienced by knowing three things. Our catechism begins with the question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the first part of our answer that we see is this, that I, with body and soul, both in life and, and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. This is the confession congregation of a believing sinner, a sinner who has been united to Christ by faith, a sinner whom Christ has by sovereign and saving grace drawn to himself and made him or her to realize that belonging to Jesus Christ is the only comfort there is in life and death. But that's maybe... that. that that the comfort belonging to, of belonging to him is, a, is the only comfort, that's maybe a strong statement, isn't it? Because what it means, it means that all other so-called comforts fail. And you might be listening and you might be thinking, is that really true? Is belonging to Jesus Christ really the only comfort there is in life and death? I mean... I've got lots of comforts. What about, what about the comforts of my home and, and, and my, my family? What about the comforts of my friends? The comfort of a, a secure and well-stocked bank account? The comfort of my health or, or the comfort of my retirement? And maybe those are questions that go through your head. Is that really true? Now, of course, we can enjoy many good things in this life, but the reality is as the Catechism teaches us on the basis of Scripture that all those other so-called comforts that we just named, that we look to for comfort so often, fail. They don't last. Don't take my word for it. Just go to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the lesson there, isn't it? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Everything is temporary. Nothing lasts. The, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says that even the houses he built, the fields he planted, the vineyards he planted, the, the number of cows that he had, the, the silver and gold that he gathered, the wisdom even that he had learned, he, he looks at it, it all, everything he had worked so hard for, and his conclusion is, behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. 
His point isn't to make us pessimists. His point, the point of Ecclesiastes, is that you can't look to things below for solid, lasting comfort. They won't last. And they are uncertain. You can think of Job. All that he had lost in moments. And Paul reminds Timothy of that when he warns him then to charge those who are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So congregation, all of the good things that we can look to or that we enjoy cannot and must not be our comfort. Not only because they don't last, not only because they fail, but also because none of them deal with the root problem. Someone very recently said to me how the, the, the good thing, we might call it, the good thing of wealth that came from quite drastic poverty and, and how, how even he, he admitted it was the Lord that gave him this wealth. And, and yet, that same wealth brought strife into the family. It brought envy and, and, and all kinds of destructive things. But whether it's wealth or, or something else, they do not bring comfort because they do not deal with the root problem. Because the root problem, you see, is not the scary world out there. It's not even your own experience, as horrific as it may be, of pain and of suffering. The root problem is a sin in your own heart and life. Because that sin, the Bible tells us, brings you under the righteous wrath and judgment of God. And none of the things that we so often look to, none of the things that we we enjoy in life, can be called a comfort when it's put up against that. Lamentations 1, I, I just looked it over in preparation of, my, of this sermon, and it makes that point strikingly. Lamentations, of course, you, you, may, you may know, it describes the Lord's judgment on Jerusalem and, and Jeremiah's lament because of it, because of her, 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 the Lord's judgment because of her sins. You know how many times in chapter 1 we hear the lament, something to the effect of, She has no comforter. There is no comfort for her. Five times. Five times that that chapter brings home the point that nothing can bring comfort. Nothing can bring comfort to those under the wrath and judgment of God. Not wealth, not other people, not our works, not pleasure. And not suicide. You know, sometimes... We can look to all these kinds of things for comfort. Even, even yeah, even, even suicide. Some people, sometimes they, they come to a point in their lives where, where everything seems hopeless and, and they think the only comfort left is, is death. But it's not. But there is a comfort that lasts. And there is a comfort that deals with your and my root problem, the problem of our sin. It's the comfort of belonging to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you love how the Catechism puts that? That I belong to my faithful Savior. It's a comfort you see that doesn't fail because He is faithful. And it's a comfort that deals with our root problem because He is the Savior and He is the faithful Savior. He came, as the angel told Mary, when, 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 when He announced to her that the Son of God would be born from her, that, that Jesus came to save His people from their sins. 
That's the great difference you see between, between the things and the people that we so often look to for comfort and the comfort of belonging to Jesus. Do you see with me how belonging to him is really the only comfort in life and death? It's illustrated for us in Luke 8 with the woman who had the flow of blood. Oh, she had suffered so much. She had been bleeding, probably some sort of abnormal menstrual bleeding for 12 years. Imagine how weakened she was. Not only that, but but just like that leper that we heard about last week, she would have been considered unclean. So she was isolated from everyone. And like the leper, she was isolated also from the worship of God. And what's more, Luke tells us and the other Gospels tells us too that she spent all her livelihood, everything she had on doctors who could not help her but even made things worse. All her comforts had failed. But then she heard about Jesus. She heard about his healing power. And here she had hope once more. This was her last hope. But she didn't dare. She didn't dare approach him and ask him directly for healing. Instead, she thought, if only I can touch his garment, then I'll be healed. And so, children, you you know the story, right? She comes up from behind. She comes behind Jesus in the, in the crowd that's, that's all around him. She, she weaves herself in, in between, and she reaches out her hand, and she touches the edge of his garment. And you know what happened? Immediately, the flow of blood stopped. She was healed. Wonderful, right? Now, now she can go home with this comfort, the comfort of, of restored health, and all will be well. Right? Except that Jesus suddenly stops and he says, Who touched me? Imagine how she must have felt. Her heart must have almost stopped beating just as she was trying to quietly get away. Peter's words maybe gave her a, a sliver of hope. After all, he was right. The, the crowd were thronging Jesus, they were pressing against Jesus. Seems a little bit of a, of a silly question to Peter. But Jesus doesn't buy it because he says again, somebody has, t- has touched me. For I perceive that virtue or literally power is gone out of me. Now stop and think about what Jesus is doing here for a moment. Jesus is tenderly drawing this woman to himself. It's so beautiful to see how he does this, isn't it? This woman who who remains unnamed in our chapter. A woman who, who because of her uncleanness, had struggled with years under a sense of shame and humiliation. A woman who had been looked down on in society as a failure. A woman who was rejected and abandoned and unloved. And in her desperation, this woman went to Jesus in faith, weak Weak faith, absolutely, but it was faith. She went to, in faith for healing and she would have been content just with that, just, just with the, for the blood to stop. But Jesus stops her with this question, who touched me? And the woman realizes she cannot be hidden. She comes to him trembling and falling down before him. She declares to him in front of everyone, in front of everyone, what Jesus had done, how she had touched him and how he was healed immediately. And it's at that point that Jesus then says these beautiful words to her. Daughter, 
That's the only time in, in the Gospels that Jesus ever uses that term in reference to a woman, to anyone. Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. She went to Jesus, hoping for healing, and she was about to go from Jesus, content with, with healing. But Jesus gives her something far better, something that lasts, something that deals with her root problem, the only comfort in life and death, the comfort of belonging to him. Maybe you are, you are like that woman in our passage. You've come to Jesus for healing, for salvation, but, but you've come fearfully. You've come afraid that Jesus has no interest in knowing you. You're afraid maybe that Jesus doesn't really want you. You're afraid that Jesus may be ashamed of you because of your past. And you think that your only comfort is maybe at best to be a subpar Christian. Beloved, Jesus' words to this woman assures you that the comfort of belonging to him is not just for a special class of Christians. It's not just for the assured. It's not just for the strong in faith. It's not just for rulers of synagogues who are, who, who are named in the scriptures like Jairus was. No, this comfort is also for the fearful. It's also for the trembling. It's also for the weak in faith. For those Christians without a name or without fame. You do not have to be content with being a subpar Christian. You cannot be content with being a subpar Christian. No, you may and you must confess, my only comfort is that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, because he gives that comfort as he shows us in our passage. He gives that comfort to all who come to him in faith, weak, trembling faith, though it may be. So take heart. Be of good comfort. But too often, our lives show, don't they, that we, will, we still struggle to be satisfied with belonging to Christ. How often don't we live? Do we, even as Christians, we have to admit, how often don't we live as if we belong to ourselves? Because we fail to see that the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ is not only the only comfort there is, we fail to see that it's a comfort that's so matchless. And here we come to our second point. The comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ is a matchless comfort. Jesus alludes to that when he says to the woman in verse 48, go in peace. Because peace, you see in the scriptures, is a rich, a very rich Term. It refers to a state of wholeness, a state of well-being and blessing that comes only from the favor and grace of God. That's, that's what we have, you see, when we belong to Jesus Christ. And that's a matchless peace. That's a matchless comfort as the Bible-based answer to question one of our catechism seeks to unfold. The Christian confesses that his only comfort is that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. 
Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. What an answer. What an answer to the question, what is your only comfort in life and death? It's a matchless comfort, you see. That's what this answer is trying to bring across to us. Matchless in its extent. The believer's whole being, body and soul, you see, belong to Jesus Christ. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. Both the body and the spirit, the soul, belong to God. They belong to God because they have been united to his incarnate son. And that unity is so close, congregation, that Paul later describes it in 1 Corinthians as He describes the church as the body of Christ. And every Christian a distinct and crucial member of that body, of his body. That's how close that belonging to Jesus is. Encompassing your, your whole being, your soul and your body. Your whole being, dear believer, belongs to Jesus Christ. Belongs to your faithful Savior. And that means that he cares for you. Whatever your need Whatever your struggle, whatever your problems and defects and weaknesses and failures and even sins are, he doesn't, the Savior doesn't leave any part out. He doesn't reject any part of you, but he takes you, he takes all of you for his own and he commits to caring for you and to redeeming you entirely. That's why, as Jesus reminds his disciples in Matthew 6, We don't need to worry about what we will eat or drink or about what we will put on because the Lord knows what you need. And that's why, as Jesus says later in Matthew 10, you don't need to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear Him because you belong to Him, the believers belong to Him, and He cares for you, body and soul. This comfort extends not only to body and soul, but it also extends to every circumstance. When you belong to Jesus, you belong to him, period. Nothing, nothing you will ever go through in life, not even death itself, can change that. That's the comfort that Paul speaks of in Romans 8 that we know so well, isn't it? That nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's why when you lose everything, whether that's your independence or your livelihood or the lives of your children or even the love of your spouse, And you can say, like Job, yes, with tears, yes, with struggles, just like Job struggled, but you can say with him, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why could he say that? Why could Job say that in the midst of all that suffering? Why can you say that in the midst of all your suffering? Because Job knew, and just like you can know that the one thing, the one thing that the Lord will never take away from him and from us, the one thing that he confessed 
to know in Job 19, verse 25, that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and that though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. The comfort of belonging to Jesus is matchless in its extent. And it's matchless in its content. And here we want to look just briefly at the rich benefits flowing out of our faithful Savior Jesus Christ as the Catechism summarizes them, just to highlight the way those benefits, how matchless they are. First, notice Christ's satisfaction for our sins. It refers to his satisfaction of God's justice, which our sin deserves. What kind of a satisfaction is it, congregation? Is it a partial satisfaction? No. Is it a satisfaction for some sins and not for others? No. The believer's comfort is this, that Jesus Christ, with his precious blood, the blood so precious because it is the blood of the incarnate Son of God, has fully satisfied for all my sins. That's why, you see, Jesus can say to sinful people, go in peace. He didn't just say that to the woman with the flow of blood, you know. If you look back a chapter earlier in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee and a woman who had a reputation as a sinner comes to him and anoints his feet and, and, and receives criticism from the Pharisee for that. But Jesus tells a story of and reminds the, the Pharisee of, of how it's because she's been forgiven much, that she loves so much. And, and then he says of her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And then he turns to her himself, and he says to her, a, a, a woman with, with, with such a reputation, a known sinner, he says to her, go in peace. Because with his precious blood, he fully satisfied for all her sins. Oh, what matchless comfort, what matchless satisfaction. But there's more. Because when you belong to Christ, not only has he fully satisfied for all your sins, he has also delivered you from all, not just some, but all the power of the devil. We see that illustrated throughout Jesus' ministry. Also in the the account that happens just before the passage we read when, when th- that man possessed with a legion of demons comes to Jesus and Jesus comes to him and, and casts out that whole army of the devil of one man. He did, you see, what nobody else could do. And what a comfort that is when Satan assaults you and he comes and he says to you with his fiery darts, and he accuses you of, of your sin. And he accuses you and he tells you, you can't overcome that temptation. I'm going to get you yet. No, you can know that Christ has overcome Satan by his death and his resurrection so that Satan cannot and does not have any power over you because you belong to Christ. And Christ has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Yes, the battle may be fierce. And yes, at times it may, feel, it may feel like Satan is winning, but he is not winning. And he will never win. 
not one member belonging to Christ will be lost. That's matchless comfort. That's comfort that doesn't leave you comfortable in your sin or despairing in your sin, but comfort that empowers you, that enables you to get back up when you have fallen and to keep fighting, to fight against sin. And yes, it's comfort that is impossible as it may seem to you. Even in this moment, perhaps, it gives you the power to overcome it. Not in your own strength, but by the power of Christ. And then there's a the comfort of Christ's matchless preservation. A preservation so complete and so minute that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair, not one hair can fall from my head. That's what Christ reminded his disciples of when he was warning them that they would be persecuted and hated for his name's sake, that they would even be painfully betrayed by their closest friends and family and even killed. That's comfort that means that your heavenly Father cares for you, dear believer. As one who belongs to Christ with the most, the, 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 the most tender, the closest and most tender and yet almighty care. And, and the, the, the result of that is that all things then, All things that happen to you, you may know, are subservient to your salvation. That's the peace that God's people live and walk in. That's matchless comfort. Comfort that strengthens you to confess Christ before friends, before family, no matter what the cost. Also as this woman healed from her flow of blood did. And finally, as a consequence of his preservation, there's the comfort of Christ's matchless assurance and sanctification by his Holy Spirit. Matchless assurance and sanctification by his Holy Spirit for the Christian, for every Christian. Everyone who belongs to Christ by faith has been, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest, the guarantee, the down payment in a sense of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means the Holy Spirit assures Christians of eternal life because by his presence in them. And I know, I know sometimes it feels like you're, maybe he's not there. You're not always conscious of that assurance. But if you are trusting and if you are believing in and coming to Christ, no matter how tremblingly, tremble, as trembling as that woman in our passage That is not your doing. That is the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. And that's what gives you assurance. Not yourself, not your actions, but it's what He is doing. And that's comfort that keeps you going in the Christian life. It's comfort that transforms your life. Because He makes you sincerely willing and ready to live unto Him. What a matchless comfort this is, is it not? To belong to Christ, to by grace, to to live in such a way that you confess before God and before others that you belong to him, that you are his, and he is yours. We've only scratched the surface. But I ask you this afternoon, 
Is there anyone or, or anything that can compare to the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ? Is there anything else or anyone else that can fully satisfy for all your sins? That can deliver you from all the power of the devil? That can preserve you so minutely and so fully, even to the detail of your the number of hairs on your head? that can assure you of eternal life and turn your life around so that you begin to serve the Lord and increasingly so, leaving off self. If there is, if there is anything or anyone else than belonging to Jesus Christ that can do that, then I, congregation, I would get off this pulpit and I would never come back here again. But there's not. And that means that the reality for you who do not yet belong to Jesus Christ by faith is that you have no comfort. You may be trying to find comfort elsewhere. Maybe in a relationship that you shouldn't be in. Maybe even in a legitimate relationship. Maybe it's pornography or some other kind of sexual immorality. Maybe it's drunkenness. Maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's work. Whatever it is, none of those things will be your comfort. They cannot be your comfort. They might give you good feelings, but they cannot be your comfort in life and death. Because if if you're looking to those things for comfort, for that comfort, it only adds to your guilt. It only strengthens Satan's hold on you. And if you don't repent, if you don't confess and forsake your sin and flee to Christ, it will only bring you down into everlasting destruction. I don't like saying those words, but the Bible is clear. And all the while, in that destruction, that place of destruction, you will remember hearing of this only matchless comfort, a comfort that you refused. It's a matchless comfort. And go to Christ. And for you who belong to Christ, who are seeking Him, and who seek to live by His word, remember, remember this. This comfort that you have been given by grace is incomparable. It's matchless. It's so easy, I know. It's so easy to lose sight of that. It's so easy to begin to rely on the many good things that God has given us to enjoy. But it's foolish to rely on those things for our comfort in light of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. But maybe you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm so prone. I'm so prone to look to other things, to those other things, whatever they may be. How, how do I not lose sight of this only comfort of belonging to Christ? Uh, or maybe, how do I come to have this comfort at all? Well, this brings us briefly to our third and last point. It's a comfort experienced by knowing three things. And we see this in the second question of the catechism. How many things are necessary for you to know that you enjoying this comfort may live and die happily? And the answer is three. First, how great my sins and miseries are. Second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. And third, how I shall express my gratitude or thankfulness to God for such deliverance. I'm going to be fairly brief with this point, partly because the rest of the catechism is is simply a fleshing out 
of this answer. And so we're going to go deeper into this over the next while. But just a few things to note here. First, knowing these three things is biblical. If you would read through the book of Romans, you would see the same pattern. Misery, Romans 1 to 3. Deliverance, Romans, middle of verse Romans 3 to chapter 11. Deliverance, and then Romans 12 and on, thankfulness. And you see this pattern illustrated in, in Jesus' miracles too as he, as he deals with human misery. Just think back again to this woman with the flow of blood. How did she come to experience the comfort of belonging to Christ? It was by her knowing her, how great her misery was, knowing that the way to be delivered was to go to Christ, and knowing that she must show her gratitude by confessing him before others. And, and knowing these things not simply in her head but in her heart in a way that moved her hands and her feet and her mouth to action so that she came to him, so that she touched him, so that she confessed him. That's how the Lord led her to that point where she could hear him say, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Knowing these three things is biblical. But also, as I've just mentioned, it's a knowledge that we, that's knowledge that we need to enjoy this comfort, to live and to die happily in this comfort, is not merely a head knowledge. It's a deeper knowledge, a knowledge in your heart. It's a knowledge of experience. Children, maybe you, you learn about different things in school. Maybe, let's just pick an example. Maybe you um, are learning this year about rocks and minerals. You can learn a lot. You can know a lot about rocks and minerals from reading a book and by looking at pictures. But you know rocks and minerals in a, in a different way, in a, in a far closer way, don't you? When, you? when you take a rock, you pick it up and you look at it, you, you turn it around and then you take your hammer and you crack it open and you, you look what's inside and, and, and then maybe you, 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 you do an experiment with it too. And all of a sudden what you knew from books becomes a very different kind of knowledge, a, a personal knowledge, a deep knowledge. And in the same way, that we need to know not just about, about our sins or about our miseries, but have seen and felt the greatness of them in our own life so that we seek our life, as we read in the form this morning, outside of ourselves and in Jesus Christ. We need to know not just about the way of deliverance through Jesus Christ, but, to, but we, know, we need to know it by going down that way of deliverance ourselves, going to him, going to the cross and to the empty tomb. We need to know not just about what thankfulness to God for his deliverance looks and sounds like, but actually be living it out in our lives. It's that deeper, that personal knowledge of experience that we need to come to in order to have and live in light of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. Now, I need to clarify. It doesn't mean it's something that we earn. This knowledge knowledge is something that earns us belonging to Christ as if it's part of the accomplishment of our redemption. But it's necessary as a thing that, that, that leads us to and keeps us in this comfort. As part, you could say, of the application of redemption. And ultimately, that's the Spirit's work, of course, but He does that work through the means of grace, above all, through the Word of God. And so how important it is then to be much in the Word, to be praying for the Spirit and humbly expecting the Spirit to apply that Word to your heart and life. It must be a personal heart knowledge. And the misery, deliverance, and thankfulness we must know in this personal way. 
None of them are things that we graduate from. No, we must know all three of these things simultaneously and always in order to not lose sight of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. Do you know these three things? Don't we have to confess that the reason we lose sight of our matchless comfort of belonging to Jesus is so often because we have not been cultivating this knowledge. We have not been in the word of God. Or perhaps we have not been listening to the proclamation of God's word in the way we should, saying with Samuel when God called him, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. And as a consequence, we become imbalanced. We, we become stuck in maybe one area over the other. Misery, we become stuck in. And we can't see the deliverance and the gratitude. And so we lose sight of the comfort we have in Jesus Christ. Or it could be something else. It could be one of the others. Congregation, let us seek the biblical balance as it is expressed also in our catechism by coming and hearing also this preaching series on the summary of God's word in the catechism. By God's grace, it will ground us in the scriptures and equip us to deal with any issue also in the 21st century. What a message of hope the Christian has. A message of comfort, the comfort that is found in belonging to our glorious Lord and faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Congregation, and won't we do as one of our Psalters from Psalm 45 exhorts us to do? For Christ the King, forsake the world and every former friend. Because there is no other comfort and there is And this comfort of belonging to him is an incomparable comfort. Oh, then let us not keep this comfort to ourselves. Let us praise the Lord for his comfort and declare it to others. Live in daily light of it for the glory of God and for the extension of his kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Isaiah reminds us of a day that we may say, we will say, O Lord, I will praise Thee. Though You were angry with me, Your anger is turned away, and You comfort me. Lord, we pray that in your sovereign grace, missed all the weaknesses of this evening. That would be the, the response, our response, the response of everyone, that everyone would confess that God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. So that, Lord, we, we, will, we, we will praise you. We will call upon your name. We will declare your doings among the people, the people that we mingle with this week at work, at school, in the community. That we make mention of your name, that your name is exalted. Yes, that we cry out and shout as inhabitants of Zion. Because great is the Holy One of Israel in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let us close with a song of thanksgiving.